The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome back for another episode of Mr. Benfica. That's right, we are in the home stretch, getting into the final sprint of season two of Mr. Benfica. This is part two of my 1989-1990 season review, the return of Sven Joran Eriksson. We're going to pick up the review in this episode, okay, in January in 1990, all right, once we get started here in a few minutes, that's where we'll pick it up, the first matches of January 1990, we covered 1989 um, in the previous episode, in episode 82, now here in episode 83, we're covering the 1990 portion. Just before we go to that, though, I, do, I wanted to give a little bit of news and information for everybody listening as um, I have some, I have a a what's happening to to share with you guys uh, regarding the PTB Media Network. Okay, if you haven't uh, realized by now, um, in addition to working as an employee for two companies, two jobs, okay, and doing Mr. Benfica, I have decided that I wasn't busy enough, and along with a business partner, myself and. Leo from DGENs United, who you heard yesterday on his his preview of Pauk Benfica for the UEFA Champions League preliminary uh, qualifier that's going to be played on Tuesday, September the 15th. Him and I have joined forces and we have formed a media company. Okay, so we have gone into business as we are trying to, to grow this and we thought that together we can reach more people and we can combine resources and have a better overall product. So things have been absolutely crazy as I have been using every spare minute um, or virtually every spare minute lately in building this network and getting it off the ground, getting it ready. He's been doing a lot on the on the marketing end. He's found us a couple sponsors. He has he has been talking to people in the sports betting world. That's where a lot of the support for podcasts is right now. And we're doing good. We're doing okay. We're getting off the ground. We're not ready to leave our jobs or anything like that. But we are getting going. And um, I think you're going to see an improved product both uh, at Mr. Benfica and Parking the Bus Podcast as well as at DGENs United and Flamingo Nation as well when that gets back up off the ground shortly. And um, just wanted to keep everyone up to speed on that. And also I got a couple of announcements Uh I'm not sure if you know yet, but um, MrBenfica.com will be back. Um, it, it will. It's up now. It's not that it's gone anywhere, but it will be looking very different. I had actually a conversation with the developer this afternoon, okay, and it, hopefully by the time you hear this, I will have um, approved his final rough draft, 
and we will be able to launch the website. I think you're going to like it. It's going to be a lot easier to navigate. There's going to be a lot more stuff there. So like I said, in addition to, to working two jobs and being a father and a husband and everything else I'm doing, I've given myself a writing job as well to keep content going on MrBenfica.com as well as keeping um, keeping podcasts coming out almost daily now. I mean, it, it's three, four podcasts a week coming out between Mr. Benfica and the Parking the Bus Network. So stay tuned to both of those channels. There's a lot of stuff coming. All right. And I, as always, I do appreciate all the support I get from all of you all over the world with my projects. Season three of Mr. Benfica kicks off later this week. It'll be probably Thursday, maybe Friday, depending on how the rest of the week goes and depending on what you know, time and 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 everything else, but um, there'll be some some noticeable changes um, in season three. I uh, I kind of hinted in the episode earlier, or I should say yesterday in the episode uh, where we talked about Pauk, we previewed it. wasn't really an episode; it was a segment. But there is a new theme song coming to the show that I'm very excited about. I've been working with a group of producers uh, that make make techno music edm house music and i think you're gonna really really like it as i'm actually in contact with them too almost daily right now uh just throwing stuff back and forth and getting it just right for you okay i think you're gonna be excited i plan to debut that track at the end of episode 84 at the end of the season finale which i hope to record in the next 24 hours some way somehow because in about in about 16 17 hours if you could kick off in the 2021 2020 2021 official season they'll kick off against Pauk in Greece but it's all coming together here it's going to be a photo finish as they say but we will get to that finish line and we will get into the new the new season without missing a stride another new uh, feature coming in the new season that I wanted everyone to know about is that um Mr. Benfica will be also available on YouTube um, with every episode. My aim now is to put every episode on YouTube going forward. So I'm going to be recording both audio and video every time. And I'm looking forward to hopefully reaching more people by having a YouTube show and also um, you know, generating more listens as a result. Hoping that people will find the show on YouTube, like it, and decide to sub- subscribe to the podcast so they can listen at work, listen on their commute, wherever. As uh, that is always the goal, of course. And um, there'll be some sponsors, so you'll hear me throw some new ads out there uh, as well. But I want to thank everybody again for um, all the the thousands and tens and twenties of thousands of listens. Uh, this past year, it has been a fantastic year for Mr. Benfica, and I want to end it right here with these final two episodes. Um, what I'm going to do now is we're going to go to a quick break, but I'm going to throw it like, as you know, I like to do in these historical episodes. I like to play some music from the time we are talking about. And 1990 music in Portugal looked to be a little bit a little bit of a dry spell now between Mr. Benfica's throwbacks and Mr. Portugal throwbacks. I have played quite honestly what I believe to be some really fantastic music I've shared with you from the different times from the early 80s mostly late 80s. Today's song I don't know that it fits in that in that uh in that category today what I'm playing for you is Portugal's entry into the 1990 Eurovision Song Festival. This is the song that won the 
the song the RTP song festival in Portugal. It's by an artist named Nusha and the song is called A Sempre Alguém. There is always somebody. Um it's not a bad song, but it's not it's not as good as the others in my opinion, humbly. I say that it it did not fare well at the at the at the Eurovision Song Festival. It finished 20th out of 22 entries with only 9 points. 7 of those points coming from Luxembourg and the other two from the UK. Now, if you've ever watched the Eurovision Song Festival, you know that the format is each country um each country scores each each song so if when portugal when portugal perform they are scored by every other country minus themselves okay and the highest score at the end wins well portugal is almost always a shoe in for a high score from france a decent one from from germany and belgium wherever there's a portuguese community and, and honestly the 7 points they got from luxembourg was just the size of the Portuguese community in Luxembourg, I think, um, as this song is is a little more average and a little less uh, spectacular, in my opinion. Two points also from the UK, like we said. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy it. It's not a bad song. So I'm going to play it for you now. Here is A Sempre Alguém by Nusha from 1990. Sim 
And welcome back to episode 83 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agostinho, and you can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. On Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And of course, on YouTube by just searching for the Mr. Benfica channel and always available as well at www.mrbenfica.com. As I said in the previous segment, that's Gonna look, it's gonna look like a very different website very, very soon. Now, let's pick up where we left off in episode 82. Uh, Christmas has come, the new year has turned, and we start on January the 2nd with a friendly. Yeah, th- this, this to me is, is bizarre, but I think I have no idea. I shouldn't speculate because I don't know. I was seven years old. I had yet to turn seven. I was still six years old at this time. Um, so I can't pretend to remember something. But Mavica started the new year with the Lisbon International Tournament, a friendly against Sporting at the Luge. And Mavica would lose that friendly against Sporting at the Luge. 2 0. On January the second, I think it was. I would say maybe it was just a tune-up, but they would have another game a week later. But um, before, <laughs> after losing two nil to to Sporting, all right, Mefica rather than going to the final of the Lisbon International Tournament, would go to the third and fourth place match one week later. But before that match, they had an important Liga match. Okay, so it is January the 7th and Benfica travel to Madeira to face Union in round number 15 of the Liga or the Primeira Divisão as it was called in those days. Benfica go to Estadio dos Barreiros and Benfica are victorious at Estadio dos Barreiros. They start off 1990 with a, a victory in official competitions. A 3-0 win over Union. Goals from Aldair, the big central defender with two goals in this one, and Magnussen adding one as well for good measure. Two days later, they would fly back from Madeira, and they would play in the third, fourth place match of that Lisbon International Tournament against Dutch side PSV, and um, Befica would win that match 3-1. to one. I'm, I'm assuming they had to have been playing a mostly uh, second-choice side, but... Goals were scored by Lima. Lima had two goals and then a goal for very young Paulo Souza. Um, two days after the match in Madeira, Benfica takes third place in that Lisbon International Tournament. And friendlies are now out of the way. January the 14th, one week later or later that week, I should say, Benfica with a 2 nothing victory over Estrela da Madura. And it is two goals for Mats Magnussen, he gets the double. Two more points for Benfica as they try to keep pace with Football Club do Porto. One week later, January the 21st, and it is round 17. Benfica travel across Lisbon to Belém to Estadio do Restelo, the final match of the first half of the season. And unfortunately for Benfica, they come away empty, well, not empty-handed, but they come away with just a draw at a time where they really couldn't um, really couldn't afford to do so. And a nil-nil draw at that. No goals to speak of as Benfica drop another precious point in the league. But there was no time to hang their head because just a few days later, it's February the 4th, and it's actually a week later, I should say. 
Benfica travel across the river. They travel to Stubal into the Bonfim Stadium to take on Vitoria Stubal. And actually, before that match with Vitoria Stubal, there was one more here. As I almost skipped it on January the 28th. My apologies. January the 28th. I can't believe I skipped over this. Benfica travel also <laughs> to the Bonfim to take on Stubal. Vitoria Stubal in round 18 of the Primera Divisão. And Benfica come away with a 2-1 victory at the Bonfim to close out the first month of the year. It was a nice victory for Benfica. The only problem was their very next match one week later was again at the Bonfim against, again, Vitoria Stubal. It is the Portuguese Cup, and that's where I was about to go as um, Benfica travel again to the to the Bonfim, like we said. And um, this time the, Sandin, the Sandinj were better studied up they were better prepared they had watched their film and they were well adjusted led by their manager Manuel Fernandes and by their Bulgarian striker Dimitrov Madlenov Stubal shock Benfica in this one it is round four of the Portuguese cup and Benfica are eliminated two to one as the Agish go out at a very early stage, causing quite a bit of co- controversy and criticism directed at manager Sven Joran Eriksson. And he is facing the type of controversy, I shouldn't say controversy, but he's facing the type of criticism that he did not encounter in his first stint with Benfica back between 1982 and 1984. Never had he been eliminated so early from the Portuguese Cup with Benfica. But now, in the second half of the season, Befica had no choice but to go after it in these reverse. As we begin the reverse fixtures, Befica pick up back-to-back victories here in February, as they will win over. They will beat Guimarães and beat Betamar in rounds 19 and 20, before closing out February with another disappointing 1-1 draw at home to Nacional. And March brings with it the return of European football and a Clásico and a Derby to talk about as well. It's a make-or-break month for this Benfica team. But before any of those matches, Benfica will have to take care of Loli Benefiel in round 22 on March the 3rd. They're traveling up north. Back in those days, it wasn't as easy as it is these days. So it was it was a tough trip up north, but... Benfica makes quick work and wins easily 4-0 at the Stadio 25 de Abril in Penafiel. Goals from Magnusson, Vata, Valdu, and Cesar Brito. And that takes us to a midweek match. A big one, one that had been circled for months. It is midweek at the Stadio de Luz. It is the European Champions Cup, the precursor, of course, to the Champions League. And it is the quarterfinal First leg, Benfica hosting Soviet champions Dnipro. And um, th- let's have a listen here, actually. Let's just listen here as we have a little bit of a play-by-play on the key moment in this first leg between Benfica and Dnipro. Sete minutos, oito minutos da primeira parte. Estamos a ver o lance de novo. A entrada de Paneira. E depois ali o toque do defesa soviético. 
na circunstância Sidelikov. Vamos. Mats Magnusson. Oito minutos e meio. Gorodov na baliza. Mats Magnusson. Colo. Inaugura o marcador. Mats Magnusson. Internacional sueco aos 8, 9 minutos da primeira parte na transformação de uma grande penalidade. So it's Mats Magnussen converting a penalty kick in the 7th minute to put Benfica ahead. And that was a quite a static uh, poor, poor audio quality report. But it's really all that's out there regarding this match. And um, really not much video or audio out there from this season. It's a little disappointing. When I did the 82-83 season review, the, there was a documentary that was made by a very talented uh, YouTuber who had access to a, to a video library and managed to put together a really, really good documentary-styled video no such video at this time exists for 89.90, so I'm going on um, whatever I can find, essentially. But that would be all it would take in this one, as Benfica would see out the results and take the one nothing lead with them to the Soviet Union two weeks later, a fortnight later, if you will. And in between, there are some big matches to play. And none bigger than right away, <laughs> three days, four days after the win against Dnipro, Befica host Porto in a Clásico at the old Stadio de Luz, a absolutely electric crowd of over 100,000 in attendance that day at the old Luz. And let's, uh, let's go over the lineups for this one. It's March the 11th. And we'll start with the visitors, Porto, who come in with a four-point lead, looking to solidify it and to leave themselves in position to claim the title. And when I play the video clip in just a moment, for those of you that understand Portuguese, you'll understand the first words is that uh, Porto had a very clear message when they took the pitch at the Stade de Luz. It was to, at the very least, leave with a point, if not win and leave themselves in the driver's seat in the league. They would come into this competition or, or into this match, I should say, in a 4-1-3-2, which was very, very common in those days. In goal, they had the young phenom Vitor Bahia. Their right back was, as always, João Pinto, central defenders, Geraldão and the mall, and Branco is the left back. The holding midfielder is Andrea, who we talked about in the last episode. Is the father of of current player he at Vitória Guimarães, Andrea Andrea, Jaime Magalhães, Bandeirinha, and Smedo in front. While Rui, Co uh, sorry, Rui Aguas <laughs> partnered with Jorge Couto in Porto's uh, front attack. Artur Jorge, of course, is the manager. And Benfica would line up with the following lineup to to counter that. Benfica would go with Silvino in goal, José Carlos, Samuel, Ricardo Gomes, and Veloso across the back. José Carlos in it right back. Samuel and Ricardo Gomes are the central pair in defense. Notice Aldair is on the bench. Interesting decision for Sven Joran Eriksson. Perhaps he was... 
He was too expended from the from the European Cup match midweek. I don't know, but this is really the match of the season, and I don't know if Erickson. I don't. I'd have to go back and find newspaper clippings, which I tried to do, and there's not much of them there. But again, there's so little existing about this season, which was such a historic one for Benfica. Um, but this was the defense he rolled out. He would go with. Jonas Stern in the holding midfielder role with the three in front of him. Vitor, Pineda, Valdu, and Pacheco. And Vata would partner with Magnussen up top. Of course, Sven Joran Eriksson is the manager. The substitutes, Diaz Grasa, Aldair, Diamantino, Abel Camps, and Cesar Brito. Let's play the clip and hear how this one went for those of you that understand Portuguese. It's about four and a half minutes or so. So if you don't understand Portuguese or you just don't want to listen to it, go ahead and fast forward about four and a half minutes. I'm not going to translate a word for word, obviously. You, you'll get the picture and we'll, I'll have a few final words about this match on the other side of this video. O comentário de Rodrigo Guedes Carvalho. A equipa do Fogo do Porto que esta tarde subiu ao relevado da luz trazia um objetivo bem definido. No mínimo, não provocar alterações na tabela classificativa. O Benfica, por outro lado, só pensava na vitória diante do seu público como forma de regressar aos grandes momentos do início da época e ao espírito conquistador do sueco Eriksson. Os primeiros minutos do encontro deixaram adivinhar desde logo que a grande luta se travaria no meio campo. A única opção possível do Benfica era o ataque mas essa disposição cedo encontrou uma barreira difícil de transpor. Foi um período de futebol viril e muitas faltas. Aos 9 minutos, Pacheco apontou um livre do lado esquerdo, a defesa do Porto aliviou e no seguimento da jogada surgiu um novo centro para a cabeça de Magnussen, sem consequências. O Benfica teve tempo e espaço para controlar o jogo, mas tudo se complicava do meio campo para a frente, com Vata pouco inspirado e Magnussen também longe do seu melhor. Aos 15 minutos, o Porto beneficiou de um livre, bem apontado pelo brasileiro Geraldão, com Silvino atento ao remate forte. Apercebendo-se da falta de soluções do adversário, o Porto passou a jogar com mais tranquilidade, sem deixar, no entanto, dispor pelo menos de dois jogadores, sempre em cima do adversário que transportava a bola. A passagem da meia hora marcou o início do melhor período da equipa de Eriksen. Valdo conseguiu passar a jogar mais solto, Pacheco aumentou de velocidade, constituindo um grande problema para o flanco direito portista. Surgiram os primeiros centros bem medidos, mas sem concretização capaz de incomodar Vítor Bahia. Sentindo o tempo a passar, o Benfica passou a colocar mais rapidamente a bola nos seus homens mais adiantados. Muito marcados, Magnussen e Vata tiveram que jogar mais com o apoio dos seus médios, que optaram então por algumas entradas na zona frontal. Paneira e José Carlos poucas vezes se libertaram das presenças de Couto e Branco, acumulando centros altos nos quais Vítor Bahia demonstrou sempre grande segurança. Aos 38 minutos, a grande oportunidade do Benfica. Magnussen antecipou-se à defesa, virou-se rapidamente e rematou de forma excelente. No entanto, Vítor Bahia saiu da sua linha de golo e fez uma magnífica defesa. O Benfica estava disposto a fazer um golo antes do intervalo. Conseguiu asfixiar o Porto no seu meio campo e apercebeu-se que só em velocidade poderia contrariar a tática fria do adversário. Vata de cabeça atirou por cima da barra, mas se a bola tivesse ido na direção da baliza, Vítor Bahia, em desequilíbrio, não conseguiria, com certeza, evitar o golo. No lado direito nasceu ainda a última grande oportunidade do Benfica. Um bom trabalho de Valdo, depois Vítor Paneira, muito rápido na antecipação e inteligente no centro. Só Magnussen foi algo lento. Para a segunda parte, Eriksson deu com certeza a ordem para atacar sem descanso. Para isso fez sair José Carlos e entrar César Brito para o ataque, recuando Vítor Paneira para a lateral direito. 
A ideia foi concretizada na primeira jogada. Os benfiquistas apareceram mais em cima dos lances e efetuaram trocas rápidas ao primeiro toque. Do lado esquerdo, Pacheco centrou para a meia-lua, onde Magnussen tentou servir Vata. No entanto, Geraldão, atento, cortou o lance. Foram escassos 5 minutos de pressão. Confiante com o nulo, o Futebol Clube do Porto ensaiou então as primeiras descidas na procura do golo. Semedo apareceu na área sem marcação e só a intervenção de Veloso impediu que o Rui Águas fizesse o golo. Pouco depois, um excelente pontapé de branco na já habitual marcação do livre. A bola passou por cima da barra. Eriksen fez entrar Abel para aumentar a velocidade do seu ataque, mas o angolano esteve algo perdido. Aqui escorregou sem que ninguém lhe tocasse. O Porto fazia render o tempo com um futebol lento, mas eficaz. Aos 36 minutos, Jaime Magalhães caiu na área. Veiga Trigo e o seu auxiliar consideraram não ter havido falta de Veloso. E pertenceu ao Porto a última grande oportunidade para desfazer o 0-0. Magnífica elevação de Rui Águas, a que Silvino correspondeu com rapidez de reflexos. Ambos os guarda-redes estiveram bastante bem neste encontro, mas um deles, naturalmente, mais feliz. Vitor Veia, o Porto sai daqui com o campeonato na mão? Não, não podemos pensar assim, não é? Foi bom, não perdemos e estamos bastante satisfeitos pela maneira como encaramos este jogo. Estou convencido que a partir deste momento, claro, teremos tudo em aberto, mas não poderemos perder pontos nenhums e teremos que jogar sempre da mesma maneira porque o campeonato não acabou aqui. Mas este festejo final já foi o festejo do campeão nacional? Não, de maneira alguma. Foi o festejo de quem trabalhou muito. So, Porto get what they came for, a nil-nil draw, a stalemate, not the most uh, attractive football match ever played, but um, very, very, very functional football match for Artur Jorge and his Football Club do Porto side. Uh, Sven Joran Eriksson left frustrated with allowing Porto to take, to take command and essentially all, all but, you know, all but mathematically... Uh, take the title away from Benfica. It, at this point, you had to be crazy to think that uh, Porto were not going to be the ones lifting the trophy at the end of the season. And at the end of that clip, we heard from a young Vitor Bahia as he's speaking to RTP, and he was talking about, you know, it was a great, it was a great effort, a great team effort, and he was being asked if Porto are already the champions. And Vitor Bahia obviously says. No, no, nothing like that. There's so much, so much championships still to play, so many matches. Um, and then he asked, "Why the celebrating? That looks like a celebration of a team that just won the title." But he responds, "No, that's the team that, that's the, that's the celebration of the team that just worked their tails off to get a result. It's the, it leaves Benfica four points out of first place with." With, let's see how many matches to play. With 10 matches to play. In those days, four points, remember, was the equivalent to at least six these days. But even even so, it's 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 really more because it was hard to make up points. Um, because even if you tied, you know, if you drew the other team one, they only make up one point at a time. They can't make up two the way teams do today. It was much, much harder to mount a comeback in 1990 than it is in 2020. And... That takes us to the following match. Benfica had to dust it off and get back to work. It would be a Saturday, a rare Saturday match due to European duty midweek. It was a Saturday night match. Benfica play at Portimonense at a borrowed stadium. Portimonense uh, using Stubel's Bonfim Stadium. Due to both to illumination at this time, Portimonense did not have floodlights in their stadium and the match needed to be played on a Saturday night. 
due to Benfica needing the extra day's rest to travel to the former Soviet Union, uh, part of modern-day Ukraine. And Benfica would eke out a 3-2 victory before flying to the Soviet Union. Now, I am going to try to not butcher the name of this city. Dnipropovich is the fourth largest city in the modern-day Ukraine. In those days, of course, part of the Soviet Union. And Dnipro are the champions of the Soviet Union at this point. And Benfica with a trip to remember. I could not find any audio in in Portuguese or English or French or Spanish or Italian or anything resembling something that I felt at least some of you would understand. The only audio I could find was in in either Russian or or Ukrainian. I'm assuming I could I couldn't verify which language it was, and um, so I couldn't really get uh, any goal calls for you for this match, but. Benfica with a career night for a lot of these guys as they roll into the stadium. And I'm going to pull up the match facts here. As they played at the stadium Meteor in Dnipropetrovsk. That is one difficult city to pronounce. I'm glad they just call it Dnipro these days. and, and Or Dnipro. And Benfica would get goals, two goals from Lima in the 55th and the 60th. And then Ricardo Gomes would ice the match and put it way out of reach in the 86th. Benfica with a 3-0 victory on the night and a 4-0 victory on aggregate. And it'll be a long flight back for Benfica, but a, but a happy one as Benfica would travel now from the Ukraine all the way to the Derby. That's right, the Lisbon Derby from the other side against our rivals from the other side of the Skund Surklar. It is Benfica versus Sporting, and it is a a must-win match for Benfica if they want to have any hope at all of staying alive in the title flight. And they didn't show any signs of jet lag, which was was impressive here. As Benfica would host and win this all-important derby against Sporting in a surprise in front of a surprisingly small crowd at the Luge. And let's pick up the action here. And I'm just gonna pull up the lineups for that match. I actually have that here for you. So we're going to move into that match here. It's Benfica versus Sporting Stadio de Luz. It's March the 25th of 1990, round 25. And we'll go to the starters, starting with the visitors. Sporting, they have e, they have Ivkovic in goal, João Luiz, Ali Hassan, Venancio, and Paulo Torch as defenders in the... In the middle of the park, Sporting will have two holding midfielders, Oceanu and Valtinho. Now, Oceanu, you will, you may remember if you're my age, you may remember him a little bit later in the 90s playing as a center back for Sporting and for the Portuguese national team. But here at this stage of his career, he played more in midfield and playing in front of them. Two more midfielders, these two wider, Carlos Xavier and Silas with Amaral and Jorge Cadet uh, in the attack. They are coached by Raul Aguas. And on their bench, they have Vitel, Vital, Miguel, Marlon, Paulinho, Cascaval, and 
Carlos Manuel. It still bothers me 30 years later that Carlos Manuel went to Sporting. Not because he, he, you know, not because of him, but I felt like Benfica should have done something. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's just, he is one of our heroes, one of our all-time legends in my opinion. He's somebody I was not familiar with, Carlos Manuel, before I started this podcast, before I started going back and researching some 1980s football, both with Benfica and with the national team. And he may be my favorite player from this whole era. And now I see him. He is at the tail end of his career. But to see him in green and white prison stripes, just a just a harsh thing to see. But Benfica come out in their normal 4-1-3-2. Silvino in goal. The back four, José Carlos Aldair, Ricardo Gomes, and Veloso. In midfield, Hernani, Vitor Pineda, and Diamantino. Oh, sorry, Hernani playing in front of the back four with Vitor Pineda, Diamantino, and Valdo in the in the midfield. And the strike pairing for this one is Lima and Magnussen. Now we move ahead, and we had a crowd. It's funny; the video will tell you a small crowd, but the official tally here, courtesy of www.fordethejog.net. Is 60,000 fans, so it would fill today's Stadio de Luz. Interesting um, what perspective means in history, right? Let's hear a little bit of the video clip. Benfica win this match 2-1. to one. Here's, here's what it sounded like on, uh, on Telejournal that night. Contra o Sporting sem ambição, Benfica vence e mantém distância para o primeiro. O jogo do Estádio da Luz foi visto por Almeida Ribeiro. Menos público do que seria previsível esta tarde na luz para assistir ao Benfica Sporting. Um jogo que valeu, acima de tudo, pelas muitas oportunidades de gol criadas e pela exibição encarnada durante a primeira parte. O Benfica entrou a jogar com grande velocidade, muita determinação e sempre de olhos postos na baliza de Ivkovic. Logo aos 6 minutos, Lima desmarcou-se a passe de Diamantino e com Magnussen em melhor posição, preferiu rematar, perdendo uma ocasião soberana para colocar o Benfica em vantagem. O Sporting, apenas com cadete na frente, apresentou-se na luz com uma formação marcadamente defensiva e até ao intervalo raramente conseguiu contrariar a rapidez e eficácia do meio-campo benfiquista. Aos 17 minutos surgiu o primeiro lance polémico do encontro, quando Ricardo instintivamente desviou a bola dentro da área com o braço na sequência de um alívio de Veloso. Jorge Coroado considerou não ter havido intenção do central brasileiro de jogar a bola com a mão e mandou apenas marcar livre contra o Benfica por falta posterior de Aldair sob o oceano, aqui. Valtinho, na transformação, atirou ao lado. Pouco depois surgiu o primeiro gol dos encarnados. Canto apontado por Lima, remate de cabeça de Hernani ao poste e Paneira à vontade em empurrar a bola para a baliza. Um golo já nessa altura inteiramente merecido. Repare-se na facilidade com que Vítor Paneira vai fazer o gol. Logo a seguir saiu Ricardo, que se ressentiu de qualquer problema físico, e entrou Samuel. O Sporting tentava reagir e só a velocidade de cadete na esquerda criava algumas dificuldades à defesa da casa. Neste lance, Valtinho voltou a atirar ao lado. Desperdiçar oportunidades. Neste particular, Magnussen foi hoje o mais perdulário. Este é um dos exemplos do que acabamos de dizer. 
Mas a tarde estava de feição para Lima e seria ele o autor do segundo gol benfiquista. Quando Valdo fez o passe, Oceano era o jogador mais atrasado no terreno. Lima estava, pois, em posição regular. Arrancou e rematou colocado. O brasileiro continuou a ser, até final do jogo, o melhor jogador em campo. So, Vitor Pineda and Lima with the goals there as Silas would pull one back in the 85th minute, five minutes from time to cut the lead in half, but that was as close as the Lions would get on the day. Benfica hold on for the two points, hold on for the victory a week later. They're back at the Luge, and it is an easy 2-0 victory over Sportivo das Aves. It is Matt Magnusson with both goals on the day. And that was it for dress rehearsals, if you will, because four days after that, Benfica are in France. They are in Marseille at the Stade Vélodrome, and they are taking on Olympique Marseille in the semifinals of the UEFA European Champions Cup, the precursor, of course, to the Europe, the UEFA Champions League, the one for the big ears, the trophy for the big ears. You know, everyone talks about the curse of of Bella Gutmann, but I'm wondering if it's not when they changed the trophy from the little ears to the big ears that was the what cursed Benfica, if there even is one. I don't believe in that. But why is no one noticing that Benfica, ever since the trophy changed, has lost every final as well. Anyway, it is the first leg, and it, we are in the Velodrome, like I said. And Marseille would line up this way with Castaneda in goal, Amoros, Dimeco, Deschamps, and Moser across the back, Germain, Sose, Louis Tigana, Papin, Enzo, Francescoli, and Chris Waddle. Round out the 11 for this incredibly talented, talented Marseille side. They would go on to win the competition the following year, by the way. Or perhaps the year after that. But they were. this team was on the verge of winning this competition in short time. And they were managed by Gerard Gilly. Benfica would line up this way. Silvino in goal, José Carlos, Ricardo Gomes, Veloso, and Aldair. Aldair, of course, playing as a central defender. Veloso as the left back. Jonas Etern is the holding midfielder with Vitor Paneda. Valdu and Hernani in front of him. And Lima and Magnussen are the strike pair. And the match would get off to a good start for Benfica. And I've got some audio here, I do have to say. It is in French. It, I couldn't find anything in Portuguese for this match. So it is in French, but I thought it may be close enough for some of you to li- to understand. I know I've got uh, I got a fair amount of listeners there in France, so maybe you'll appreciate this. Um, but you don't have to understand the words to understand what's going on. You can understand the names of the players. And it's actually Benfica getting on the board first on a header from Lima off a corner kick. But the French champions claw their way back. And earn themselves a two to one victory. Here's what it sounded like in France on that night in 1990. <laughs> 
Alto au deuxième poteau. La défense de l'OM a semblé un quart de seconde de ne pas bouger. Et Benfica marque. Et oui, c'était la troisième balle aérienne qui créait des soucis à la défense de l'OM. Regardez, il est à 8 mètres du but. Il a pris de vitesse. Pour la tête de Moser, attention papa, et ballon but, égalisation de Franck Sauvé, formidable OM qui a su réagir après une petite période de doute qui a duré que quelques secondes. C'est Waddle, frappe de Waddle, transversal, transversal, non, le ballon n'a pas été détourné comme le demandait Waddle. Et au contraire, c'est une contre-attaque menée par Benfica, enrayée immédiatement. Et on retrouve Jean Tigana, Tigana, Waddle. Waddle qui glisse bien pour Papa cette fois. Papa, oui So disappointing result for Benfica, but by the time they're on the plane and they're on the way home, I think they realize they got that all-important away goal. Despite the disappointment of squandering a one-goal lead, they only need to win 1-0 at home, and that should be comforting at this point, as now Benfica have very lots of long travel to make here, as they have to go in four days from Marseille all the way to Madeira to take on Maritimo. And the best that Benfica could muster on the day was a 1-1 draw with Maritimo at the Barreiros. A goal was from Avata. And a, a visibly exhausted Benfica officially and pretty much math and all but mathematically out of the title race at this point. Seven rounds to play. Porto cruising. But they still need to play these matches with intensity because they need to prepare for the European Cup. It's it's Europe or bust now. And I think that um, Benfiquistas are still confident in their team's ability uh, in Europe in April 14th. Uh, just a week later, it's round 28. And Benfica beat Braga at the Luge 3-1. Magnussen says Abrito and Vata on the score sheet, which takes us to another midweek Classic. This is an absolute classic. This is the second leg of this semifinal UEFA European Champions Cup, the ECC. Benfica are down 2 1 on aggregate, but remember, have that all important away goal as Marseille come into the lineup. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this before I get into the, the match itself was the, the, the run up to the match. So, as we know, our friend Moser is now on Marseille. And Moser told a story on Benfica Independent um, several months ago when uh, the COVID outbreak happened and football stopped. And the guys over there at Benfica Independent had such phenomenal conversations with all these Benfica legends. And I remember the episode where they spoke to Moser and he talked about this match and he kept saying, you know, every week in France he had a teammate that just said, oh, next week. You know, the pressure is going to be great. We're going to play in a stadium. 30,000 are going to be in the house. 30,000. 
And then he says every once in a while they go to a big match. Today, 35,000 fans. It's going to be, the pressure is going to be so tense. And Moser said every time he heard that, he kind of just nodded off. He just kind of nodded and, you know, kind of said, <laughs> laughed it off as he's he's realizing this guy doesn't know where he's been. Doesn't know where Moser has been and doesn't know what pressure is. So fast forward to the spring here and the second leg in Lisbon. And he goes to his friend and he says, no, my friend, now you are going to feel pressure. And he goes, what do you mean? In Portugal? He says, oh, yes. So he's Marseille on a bus. They're already in Portugal and they're traveling to the Jamor to train. And he, <laughs> as they pull into Jamor, okay, and to the park and, and their bus is pulling in, they're being greeted by th hundreds, if not thousands of Benfica supporters. And his friend goes, oh, is there some match here today? And, Mar and Carlos Moser just says to him, no, my friend, this the, this is the Benfica nation. This is the Nassau. Welcome to, to Benfica. And he's, what are they doing here? He says, they're here to watch us practice. They're here to watch us train. He says, yeah, they're here to watch us train and to insult us and to intimidate us. They've invaded our training session, and that, that's what they're doing. And he says, the guy turned white. He said, oh. And he goes, my friend, tomorrow you're going to feel pressure. Not 30, not 40, not 50, 60, or 70,000. He said, huh? He tells his his teammate, tomorrow 120,000 in the Stadio de Luz. You are going to see what it is. What is the Inferno de Luz? And... <laughs> He said he laughed it off, but his, his teammate was scared to death. The word got around, okay? So what happened is Moser tells this story where it gets great. After warm-ups, as the stadium is filling and filling, and, and the number ends up topping 120,000 due to standing room and, and false tickets and people sneaking in and whatnot, you end up getting more than 120,000 fans in the Stade de Luge for this one. And the atmosphere is just unlike anywhere else in the world. And unlike any other time in history, I mean, Benfica will never be able to replicate that atmosphere again. It just won't be allowed. But uh, they're in the tunnel ready to come out, and Moser's trying to get his guys ready. And he says his his teammates, his, his, his Marseille teammates are scared. They're afraid to come out by themselves. Because in those days, the teams didn't walk out side by side. One team ran out, and then the other ran out. And people, uh, teams in Portugal were used to this. As In big matches, you'd come out of the tunnel, and you would sprint to midfield to avoid being hit by any debris from the stadium. So Moser tells his team, you know, we're going to hit the, the stairs, we're going to come out, and we're going to run to midfield. He said the, the crowd was so loud, and the atmosphere was so intimidating that... <laughs> Moser leads the squad out. They all they all said, "No, you got to lead us out today." Even though he wasn't the captain, he was the new guy on the team. They all said, "You've got to lead us out today. You know this place." And apparently, he he comes up the stairs because of the way the old Stadio de Luz had their their locker rooms. It's a hallway and then up a set of stairs. He runs up the set of stairs, turns the corner, and goes right for the middle of the pitch. And Moser tells the story that he sprints and he hears the sounds. And then he what he does is halfway through the run, he doesn't hear anybody breathing. He doesn't hear any footsteps behind. He looks back 
and the rest of his team stayed in the tunnel. They were so intimidated by the atmosphere, and it was one heck of an atmosphere, one heck of a match, a match that will go down in infamy in Benfica legend and in Benfica history, and most of you know what happened. So here is, uh, I did find some Portuguese audio on this one. Here is Samertepi Memoria commentary of the goal. The goal that puts Benfica in the Champions Cup final, the ECC European Cup final in Vienna. It is Vata, and uh, here is the build-up and the goal courtesy of RTP. So that is Vata's goal there, and we all know by now, video has confirmed for the last 30 years. Yes, Vata scores this goal with his hand. This is another hand of God, if you will, um, for the Angolan striker, and that is the hand that puts Benfica into the final. And, um, well, the Marseille players were not very, very happy. Obviously, they must have felt cheated. And it's funny, I saw a story somewhere once. I think it was on BTV on one of their... Vitória de Patrimonios and um, I think the 1990 final or this this match actually this Benfica Marseille match is is one of the themes for one of the episodes and there's an interview with former Arsenal and France uh, star Robert Pires um, who you probably know is of Portuguese descent despite playing for France and he tells the story in French that uh, he you know went to school that day wearing his Benfica jersey okay um and he said the next day he feared for his safety as uh, all of his French friends were ready to kill him. They were ready to beat him up because they were so angry with the way in which 
Marseille were eliminated from this competition and in the way Benfica sort of stole this one. But Benfica never gave up. Eriksen's boys fought to the end. It was seven minutes from a full time. The cross comes in. And nobody gives credit to Mats Magnussen for the flick that found Vata at the far post. Magnussen has to twist his body into an awkward shape as the ball he was making a run to the near post and the ball was behind him and he managed to stop his momentum enough and kind of contort his body in a way that can at least get his head to redirect the ball. He redirects it across the face of goal where Vata gets on the end of it. Yes, he handles it. He handles it into the goal, but that's all Benfica needed. Benfica win the match and advance to the final in Vienna. They would play an all-world AC Milan. We're not going to get to that in this episode because that is the theme of the next episode of episode 84. It will be a watch-along of that final. I will watch it and react. I've never watched it from start to finish, and I always like when that happens. I always love watching something old for the first time because what's old is new again. Benfica would celebrate, and the Benficistas would celebrate into the night in Lisbon. It was a memorable, memorable uh, Wednesday uh, Wednesday night in Lisbon. The exact date was the 18th of April 1990. Four days later on the 22nd, Befica would drop another point. Certainly jet-lagged from, not from traveling, obviously, but from celebrating and from the enormous, enormous effort they had to put in to get that 1-0 victory against Marseille. And with that draw at, um, they dropped another point here in Santa Maria the Feda against Feirense. And with that draw, Porto could put the champagne on ice. The Avenida dos Aliados would be getting dressed up with the ribbons and with the scarves as it was being painted blue and white as they were ready to celebrate their title at this point. Befica would proceed to win the next five matches to close out the league. And that would be it for 1989-90 in the league. Let's take a look now at the table, the final table, 1989-90. As I pull it up here and we take a look at it. As we have the champions are Porto with 59 points. Four more than Benfica, so Porto would go to the European Cup in those days. Still, only the champion advanced to that competition, while Benfica in second with 55, Sporting third with 46, and Vitória Guimarães were fourth with 45 points. Those three teams go to the UEFA Cup first round. Fifth place was Sportive de Chaves, 38 points from 34 matches. This, that was their best ever finish in the in the Primeira Divisão. A very historic season for Chaves. Sixth was Bulanesh on 36 points. Same as as Vitoria Stubal, but the head-to-head goes to Bulanesh. Seventh is, uh, sorry, eighth is Boavista on 34 points. Nine is Tirsens on 30 points. Maritimu is 10th on 29. Betamar, uh 11th on 29. Sporting Braga, 12th place. Amazing and just strange, um, you know, with 2020 eyes to see Sporting Braga in 12th place. But they, like I said, they were not yet the club that they are today back in 1990. 13th place was Estrela da Amadora. 
about Estrela da Amadora were the Portuguese Cup winners that year. So Estrela da Amadora book a spot in next in the following seasons. Cup Winners Cup. I do miss that competition. I think that was a great competition, and I wish that when when UEFA decided to go to a third European competition, I wish that it were they had re re um, established the Cup Winners Cup. I think that even had a little bit of a sense of of being the number two tournament more so than the UEFA Cup did in those days. Um, but the UEFA Cup was just loaded with so many good teams because it had the most entries. And 14th place, Nacional de Madeira, 28 points also. 15th was Penafiel with 26th. 16, Union de Madeira, 24. And then the two relegated teams, 17th, Portimonense with 21 points. And 18th place, Ferenc with 20 points. And we have the top goal scorers here for the season. This is just in the league. This is not in all competitions, but just in the league. Benfica's Mats Magnusson with the ball at Prata, the silver ball or the golden boot, whatever you want to call it. 33 goals in the league in a 34-match season for Mats Magnusson. Career year for the Swedish star who would go on to star at the 1990 World Cup in Italy. Second was... Our Rui Aguas was playing for Porto at the time. He would return to Benfica at the end of this season and bring his 18 goals with him. Uh, Portimonense's Jetov, his full name is is Plamen Sevenov Jetov from Bulgaria. He would have 15 goals. Porto's Majer would be fourth with 13. And then Estrela uh, Damadora's Nigerian ex-Benfica player Ricky and Boavista's future Benfica star, Isaias, shared fifth place with 12 goals apiece. And then in tied in seventh with 11 goals is Vitoria Stubel's uh, Malandinov, uh, Boavista's George Andrade. Boavista's is Chiquinho Conde. That's right. Shout out Chiquinho Conde, former member of the New England Revolution. Yes, he played a season for the New England Revolution, and it was the best. It was the most I ever enjoyed the Revolution. I'm just gonna say that uh, he was my fa- one of my favorite players as a kid. Actually, 1995, 96 season, 96, 97, 96 or 97. One of those seasons, he he teamed up with Jair, who uh, a Cape Verdean player, Jair um, Ribeiro, who um, shout out to Jair uh, down in Florida these days. He's a very very good coach from the Boston Cape Verdean community. And uh, one of the greatest high school soccer players in the history of the state of Massachusetts. They teamed up very nicely on that New England Revolution team. But I digress. And Porto's Belgian center back, DeMaul, also in the top goal scoring. Uh, it tied for seventh with 11 goals. That, my friends, is 1990 or 1989-1990. And... I take a look here, and my final thoughts on Ericsson's return. Well, it wasn't obviously the return that the, the that Fernando Santos had envis- envisioned when he brought him back uh, from from Italy. Uh, what I think saved Ericsson from a lot of additional pressure was that European run, and we'll we'll catch the conclusion of it in the next episode. But um, far too many points squandered, in my, opi- in my opinion. Uh, in those days, the league, I think, was harder to win. Okay, we've seen in 20, 
2018, 2019, and 2019, 2020. We have seen first Porto and then Benfica blow 7-point leads, okay, in the second half of the season. Porto, not quite in the second half, but in the last game of the first half of the season, they, they went into the game with the 7-point lead. So in roughly the same amount of matches, one match difference, we've seen them blow a 7-point lead. That was impossible in 1989-90 when you only got two points for a win and one for a draw. Once you fell behind, it was so hard to come back. And like we talked about in the last episode, and Erickson talks about in his book, uh, well, not in his book, but in the biography of Erickson, the biographer talks about how Erickson said that the end of 1989, those last weeks in December, and the points lost were never made up, and it's very hard to make it up. But because of the success in Europe, um, I think Erickson was relieved of a lot of pressure that he would have otherwise been under and a lot of fire he would have otherwise been under. But that does it here for this episode, for episode 83. We'll be back um, in about a day or so, maybe sooner if I can pull it off. With episode 84, we're going to watch the 1990 UEFA Champions Cup or European Cup final. I want to call it the Champions League so bad, but at this time the Champions League was still just a concept in a couple people's mind. But uh, it is the final from Vienna. Again, like I said, I've never watched it from start to finish before. Obviously, I know the results, but I've never watched it, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. And we will, we will wrap up the season with that episode. And like I said, at the end of... That episode, I will have a sneak peek for you on the new theme song that will debut in Season 3. I've also got a new logo debuting in Season 3 as well. I can't wait to get there. All right, so for the Park and the Bus Media Network, this has been the Mr. Mike Agustinio. I'm signing off here on Mr. Benfica Episode 83. Again, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Benfica. Mister, and I'll talk to you again in about a day. So, um, and by the time you listen to this, you'll probably already have seen or be getting ready to watch, listen, follow, however you're gonna um, consume this match on Tuesday, September the fifteenth. It's Pauk Benfica from from the from Central Macedonia. I also want to wish a or wish I want to extend a hello. To the listeners from that region of the world that I have recently picked up. And thank you for checking in with us. I hope you're enjoying the, the, the content. And I look to give a very fair and very balanced analysis of tomorrow's match. Whatever happens, okay, I plan to give a very fair, balanced match. And I invite all of the Pauk fans to to listen to my review when that comes out later this week. Again, with new theme music, new logo, new new everything, if you will. New website. Season 3 is right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. One episode to go. Let's do it. I'll talk to you soon. 